Hello, and I am Caleb Jarrow, sports editor here at the Daily Beacon. And joining me today is Jackson Reyes with the Alligator down in Gainesville, Florida. And we will be doing some previewing of Tennessee's matchup with Florida. The Vols are looking for their first win in Gainesville since 03, first back-to-back wins since 03-04. So there's a lot of history riding on this matchup. Jackson, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us what y'all are working on down there at the Alligator. Hi, my name is Jackson Reyes. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm the, the sports editor over at the Alligator. So, you know, right now, just getting football coverage going, volleyball, soccer. Um, and uh, again, thank you for having me on. Really excited to, to preview this matchup. Yeah, for sure. Let's uh, let's dive right in with probably the most obvious question and the question you probably answered 100 times. Who is Graham Mertz? What did he look like? I'm sure everybody saw him against Utah, and it obviously wasn't, you know, a Heisman performance. But what do you think Graham Mertz is capable of, and what are you expecting from him on Saturday? Yeah, so Graham Mertz, you know, he spent four years over at Wisconsin. Uh, you know, he started a lot of games there. Um, but ultimately, uh, his, his career kind of, you know, he, he was benched, eventually lost the job, and then transferred down to Florida. Um, and then so far through two games – you know, he hasn't looked, uh, you know, I, I won't say he looked the best and he hasn't looked bad, though. Uh, against Utah, he ended up having to throw the ball a lot because Florida was losing for almost all of that game. Ended up throwing 44 passes, but, you know, he completed excuse, he, he completed 71% of those passes, threw over 300 yards, a touchdown and an interception. And even with that interception, you know, I, I feel like if you watch it, there's only so much you could blame him for it. You know, he throws a ball to Ricky Pearsall. The ball's a little high. But then Pearsall tries to go up and make the catch, and he kind of like volleyball spikes it up in the air, and then a, a Utah corner just catches the ball as it comes back down. Um, and then against McNeese State, you know, there were a couple times they were trying to get the deep ball going, but McNeese State was playing good coverage. Uh, and so I don't know if that's on the wide receivers or just Billy Napier's play calling, but uh, eventually finally found Ricky Pearsall for a 50-yard bomb uh, for a touchdown, and I think he ended that game like 14 of 17 just under 200 yards and a touchdown. So, you know, I feel like he hasn't been able to flash too much just in terms of, you know, what he's capable as a, as a quarterback. But, you know, the things he has been able to show is, you know, he's an accurate quarterback. Um, when he needs to throw a DP, he does have a little bit of arm strength to get it the deep ball, you know, obviously not the same as Anthony Richardson uh, from last season, uh, but it is, it is there. Um, but I'd say some of his struggles and some of his flaws is just, you know, the offensive line is not great, but he does have a tendency to hold on the ball a little too long, and that has led to him getting pressured a few times. Um, and just the other thing is, you know, maybe he's not necessarily leading wide receivers to the, the right places with his balls, but for the most part, um, through two games, I think he's looked pretty good. But Tennessee is going to be a real test to to just how good of a quarterback he can be at Florida. Yeah, and you kind of hit on it a little bit. We saw him throw the ball a ton against Utah, and then McNeese State goes to Gainesville, and it kind of turned into just a run fest. Game three, what do you, what would you say the identity of this Florida team is? Are they going to be a, you know, establish the run and then pass whenever it's third and long or when they feel like they have something, or is it going to be a rely on Graham Mertz all night? Um, I mean, honestly, it, again, it depends on, you know, how the game starts. Um, they, they, Billy Napier, he he wants to be a run first team. He wants to establish that run game. You know, I think even though they did try and get some deep balls against McNeese State and it didn't really work out, I think he was perfectly fine just running it down their throat and getting like 10 yards every carry. And obviously that won't be the same against Tennessee. You know, an SEC defense is not going to be giving up those kind of numbers. They're not going to give up over 300 rushing yards. 
in a game. Uh, but these are two talented running backs, Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne. So, you know, they still have the ability to, you know, put up numbers against an SEC defense. So I think the goal is trying to establish that that run game and then looking to to Graham Mertz and those receivers as sort of a secondary uh, in the game. Yeah, and Tennessee's defensive front has much improved this season, obviously second in tackles for loss and first in sacks. It feels like they're in the backfield almost every play. You talked about that offensive line struggling and wanting to establish the run game. Which way do you see that battle swinging on Saturday? Do you think the offensive line will – be successful and be successful enough for Graham Mertz to throw the ball and establish the run? Or will it be just, you know, Tennessee pinning their ears back and sitting in the backfield every play? Yeah, that one depends. A lot of it depends uh, on two players for me. The first one is Kingsley Gokwin. Uh He started every game at center last season for the Gators. He's a talented offensive lineman. He's missed the first two games. And that's where you saw a lot of times where, you know, they were starting a redshirt sophomore, Jake Slaughter, for the first time. And, you know, he didn't look great against, you know, a Pac-12 front, you know, a very talented Pac-12 team. Uh, but having Kingsley back is going to do a lot to improve that line. So I think if he's back and if he's 100%, that'll help a lot. And looking at the right side of that offensive line, uh, I know the first two games they've been playing Damian George. He's the uh, transfer from Alabama. And he has not looked great. He has definitely been sort of a week side of that offensive line. There was a play against Utah where... They had to, they, they ran like a four. It was a fourth and one play. It was a shovel pass to the tight end. And he was supposed to like slide and block for him. But instead he slid like to the right or the left, even though the play was going to the right. And he ended up blocking his own offensive lineman. So I don't know if it's just inexperience or if he's just not he's not very quick because he's just so big. But that right side is going to be a, a major issue. So. Uh, I think trying to improve on that side because I look at the other side and I look at a guy like Austin Barber and I think that line has been shared up, but I look at the center and I look at the right side of the offensive line. And if they can't make the improvements that they need to make, then it might be a long night for Graham Mertz in the backfield. Yeah. Uh, Tennessee's had their own issues on offensive line and, you know, center Cooper Mays, his status is still questionable for Saturday, but I can at least safely say I have not seen a Tennessee offensive lineman block another offensive lineman so at least they have that going for him and Jackson I want to swing over to the defensive side Joe Milton has shown some accuracy issues wide receivers have shown some issues catching the ball obviously he started Joe Milton started the Austin P game I think one for 11 with 11 yards and his one throw was to a running back and they didn't have a wide receiver catch a pass until right before halftime so the offense has shown question marks that we did not see last year with Hendon Hooker with Cedric Tillman with Jalen Hyatt on Florida's defense how what is their effectiveness? I know Utah started their second string and third string quarterback both got run against Florida and found success. What does that Gator defense hold? What are their strengths? What are weaknesses? Who are some guys that Tennessee fans will probably hear their names called on Saturday night? Yeah, so looking at that Florida defense, uh, you know, I'll start with that that defensive line. Um, I think obviously the name to point out is uh Prince Uman Mielen, uh edge rusher. Uh, you know, he's he's a very talented player. He's got super long arms. He's he's really talented at just getting after the quarterback and just putting that pressure on him. And so I think he's a guy who can get after Joe Milton and, you know, really apply that pressure and, you know, try and, you know, force those accuracy issues that he has. If he has a guy in his face, you know, those are only going to get worse. Um, so I think he's a guy definitely to look out for. Looking at the rest of the defensive line, they got a couple of transfers. Uh, Cam Jackson has been really solid, especially on run defense. Uh, 
Desmond Watson, big Des, like 430 pounds. He's always a factor. Uh, then looking at linebacker, uh, Scooby Williams, he got his first career sack uh, against McNeese State the other day. He's a guy who's finally starting to see some playing time, and I, I think he's made some improvements. So uh, he's a name to look out for. And kind of just looking at this defensive line uh, as a whole, <clears throat> against uh, Utah and McNeese State, they've been really good at stopping the run game. And obviously that's so important in the SEC to be able to defend the run. And also looking at that secondary, it's a very young secondary. They they recently had, you know, last week, their only senior in the secondary room announced he'd be leaving the team and entering the transfer portal. So you know, the team does not have a true senior on the team. And yet, you know, they, they still look good. And obviously, you know, that those, you know, inexperience could show against an SEC offense, um, especially since, you know, again, they've only played Utah and then an FCS school. Uh, but I think they've shown that they can, you know, hold their own out there. And especially since, you know, you look at the Utah game, they gave up that big play on the, the first play of the game for Utah, and then they gave up a pretty long run uh, to the third-string quarterback who they are using more as a, a run-first QB. But other than that, you know, they really controlled Utah. Uh, they only allowed them to convert three of their 13 third downs which was an area that they really struggled in last season, trying to stop teams on third down. Um, so I think we're seeing a defense that even though they're young, uh, you know, if you're talented, you know, you may not necessarily need the experience, but, you know, we'll see once SEC play comes around this Saturday. Yeah. And specifically, what does Florida's run defense hold for Tennessee? Because with Joe Milton's inaccuracies and the wide receiver struggling and just the offense being out of sync passing game wise, we've seen, you know, Tennessee's three-headed monster of Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, and Dylan Sampson averaged 6.1 yards a carry. And Dylan Sampson opened the season with four total touchdowns, three on the ground, one through the air. I mean, we've just seen that running back room really respond to the call of, hey, we can't pass the ball effectively. We really need y'all to, you know, backpack the team to a win. And we've seen them do it two weeks in a row and be very, very successful on the ground. I don't think anybody with Josh Heupel as head coach expected to hear that the running backs and the rushing yards are higher than the passing yards so we've seen that through the first two weeks for Tennessee do you think they'll be effective on the ground against Florida and how do you think Florida's defensive front will hold yeah I mean you know obviously SEC offense SEC running backs I I think you always have a chance to succeed and I, I do think Tennessee does have that opportunity to try and get something going in the run game but I do think that this Florida run defense has been you know obviously a little underrated just because They were so bad last season, and then they've made such huge strides under the new defensive coordinator, Austin Armstrong. Um, And so I do think that Tennessee may have a little bit of a struggle to get the run game going, especially if, you know, Joe Milton's struggling, if he, you know, if receivers are dropping passes, if he's missing guys and they have to rely on the run game and become a little bit more one-dimensional, then I I think that might make it a little tougher uh, for the run game. Especially, you know, you look at guys who – you know, guys I didn't mention, like Jamari Lyons, he's looked really good so far. Shamar James, a linebacker, you know, he's looked great so far. He's flying all over the field, making tackles, getting tackles for loss. And I think the number one thing for this Florida defense is in terms of pass rush, you know, they get pressure on the quarterback, but they're not necessarily getting to him for sacks. You know, they didn't have any sacks against Utah. They only had two against McNeese. But they're getting to the backfield a lot on these run plays for tackles for losses uh, in both games. You know, they Jamari Lyons... You know, they got to McNeese State for a safety uh, last game. And, of course, you know, it's an FCS opponent, but, you know, it's still impressive that 
you know, getting a safety, it's no easy task. So uh, I, I think this, if Florida, Florida's run defense, if the defense as a whole can slow down Melton and force them into the run game, then I think they can have success. And then Tennessee against Austin P and Virginia to an extent, and Clemson in the Orange Bowl, if you want to go all the way back there, have seen defenses play really, really soft coverage on these wide receivers. Basically saying, hey, we'll give you the 10-yard, 5-yard pass if Joe Milton can complete it, but we're not going to give you over the top. We've seen Joe Milton struggle a little bit with those short passes. We've seen the wide receivers struggle a little bit. What do you think Florida's defensive scheme or, I guess, plan going into the game is? And then how do you think the secondary, which I'm pretty sure you've mentioned was a pretty young secondary, and they lost their one senior to the transfer portal after the first game of the season, which is kind of crazy. But what do you think that young secondary will be able to do against Tennessee? And what do you think the defensive game plan will be drawn up to be? Yeah, looking at that secondary, uh, I think the the one guy who I think will have a good game for sure, um, <clears throat> which now that I say it, probably won't, probably jinxed him. But Jason Marshall Jr., you know, he is a junior, so he does have that experience starting games. Um, and he's their cornerback one. I think he'll have a good game, especially with, you know, a Tennessee skill group that, you know, has shown flashes and shows that they can be good, but through the first two games of the season have struggled. I, I think he can take advantage of that. But then I look at sort of the younger players, uh, especially that safety room where, <clears throat> you know, they're one safety is a freshman, the other safety is a sophomore. <clears throat> Sorry. And I look at those two and it was the safeties who kind of had a miscommunication when they gave up the 70 yard bomb to, to Utah in the game one. And so I think it's sort of, again, like you mentioned, giving that, that soft coverage and allowing the, the short stuff and trying not to give up, uh, you know, a giant deep ball that can really mess up, you know, your game plan or your mess up your confidence as a young team. Uh, but I think it just comes down to communication with the young guys, uh, with guys like Jakeem Jackson, who's a freshman corner, Jordan Castell, he's the freshman starting safety, uh, Miguel Mitchell, he's the sophomore safety. You know, these guys are talented. And I think that they have what it takes to, you know, stop Joe Milton and stop this these Tennessee skill players. But it just comes down to can you as a group, you know, communicate and like be cohesive so you don't have a mental error. Because, you know, my biggest concern is as freshmen and as sophomores, like it's possible that you play a great game all game long but it could come down to just a couple mental errors that allows Joe Milton to have space for a 50-yard touchdown pass. And honestly, you look at the Utah game, it comes down to just a couple plays like that where if you don't have those mental errors, you're right there in the ball game. But, you know, you shoot yourself in the foot with those kind of errors, and I could see the same thing happening against Tennessee. Yeah, and now, Jackson, I kind of want to pivot to more overarching themes. I kind of joked about it a second ago, but – Having your senior defensive back or your veteran defensive back enter the transfer portal two weeks into the season, not even, is not a very good look for the state of Billy Napier's program. How would you say the culture at Florida is? What has kind of been the theme or I guess the feeling around the media and the team just about the future of Billy Napier and where Florida's going? Yeah, I'd say as a whole, even though, again, that guy – transferring was it was not the best look especially you know one of the only seniors on the team but I'd say as a whole um just culture wise I, I think we're seeing sort of a shift and I, and I feel like that's become so much of a buzzword in college football you know culture and you know things like that and 
obviously, you know, I'm at the press conferences and things like that, but they only allow you to see so much uh, behind the scenes. But I feel like, especially with the, the guys he's brought in, the assistant coaches like, you know, like Austin Armstrong, who's a younger guy, you know, like Court Raymond, who's the secondary coach, uh, they've really been able to buy in. And I think that him giving all these young guys so much experience, like now, has really been able to help establish like his program, like what he wants to do uh, as a head coach. And I think that is just making ways in terms of, you know, what you're seeing him do as a recruiter. Um, obviously now you need to see the results on the field because, you know, a head coach is not just as a recruiter, even though that's so important in college football, it's also, you know, what you do on a game day. So I I'd say obviously like the transfer is not a great look from the outside look again, but I think things are sort of trending in the right direction. I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, obviously you don't want to give them so much patience where it's okay, where every single year you're going like six and six, seven and five. But I think Florida fans just need to be a little patient in terms of just, you know, let him establish the things he wants to do. You know, obviously these some of these freshmen and sophomores have shown flashes, but you really do need to let them grow and get more seasons under their belt. Yeah, and I feel like Coach Prime over at Colorado has kind of made it terrible for every new head coach now because in his year one, he's gone taking a horrible team from last season and gone two and zero and probably three and zero after this weekend. So. Billy Napier, I, from the outside looking in, I'd say everybody thinks the patience is running thin at Florida, but the way you put it, hopefully the culture is turning around for his program. What do you think, you talked about making recruiting transfer to the field and the on-field results. What do you think Florida's season outlook is this year? What do you think they'll finish? Where do you think they'll finish in the East? Everything like that. Yeah, I mean, looking at, honestly, um, I feel like this is a little bit of a cop-out answer, but uh, a lot of it comes down to this Tennessee game right here. Uh, kind of sets the the tone for the rest of the season because you know Tennessee is favored. They're they're probably the better team on paper, but you know you're in the swamp. Uh, Tennessee's you know historically struggled there. Florida still has some talent, especially in like areas like the running back room, defensive line. Um, and if Florida's able to come out with this win against you know a top fifteen opponent, then you know, that sets the tone for this year. And I think if they win this game, they have the chance to go eight and four, finish like probably third in the East, uh, go like five and three. If they lose the game, then I think they go like six and six, seven and five. I, I think no matter what, win or lose this game, they're still going to make a bowl. Uh, I think they're just too talented to, you know, not find five more wins, even if they lose to Tennessee. Uh, but if they do beat Tennessee, then I think that's going to help them, you know, gain so much more, so much more momentum and confidence going forward. Uh, but I, I'd say six and six or seven and five is probably the realistic finish for this team. Yeah. I feel like a six and six Florida team will have everybody calling for Billy Napier's head on Twitter before long. So we'll see how that goes. And Jackson, I think my score prediction I think it was 30-21 or 27-21 with Tennessee coming out. I think the defensive front and honestly the offense will just out, frankly, out-athlete Florida at some point, just get their playmakers into space and let them make plays. What do you see happening on Saturday night when Tennessee walks into the swamp looking for their first win since 2003? Yeah, I look at this game and <clears throat> I look at a lot of factors. Again, I look at it being in the swamp. Um, you know, last season's game was was very close. Uh, 
and it was in Knoxville. And then it comes, Tennessee comes down to Gainesville. Joe Mullins had some struggles. And so I think Florida's going to play really well and they're going to keep it really close. Um, but I think it's going to come down to can the secondary keep it together for a full 60 minutes and can special teams, um, because they've especially struggled with their field goal kickers, uh, keep it together. I think ultimately, I think Tennessee comes away with the win, <clears throat> but I think it's very close. I'll say 27-24 Tennessee, my score prediction. All right. I'll I, hit I think you it's with, very close. I'll hit you with one more here, Jackson. Do you uh, think offensive-wise, which team and runner pass do you think will be perform better? Because I've had to like – I've spent a lot of time just like staring at the wall, trying to think if Joe Milton can pass for more yards than Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, and Dylan Sampson can run for against this team. So I'll throw the question at you, Jackson. Where do you think, uh, which offense do you think will have the best day? And then will it be on the ground or through the air? I think, I don't know, it's kind of an interesting answer. I feel so. I think as like a game, Florida's run game will probably have the best game. I just think Trevor Etienne and Montreal Johnson are so talented. But I think in terms of just like if you look at if you only look at the box score, I feel like Joe Milton could have the best game because I think maybe he'll like struggle. Like maybe he'll try a lot of short passes. Maybe they're not hitting or maybe the receivers are dropping the ball. But I think he's going to have some opportunities where like he's going to have receivers open deep. And so he'll get a few chunk plays or like maybe he'll have like a 70-yard bomb similar to the Utah game where Florida gave up that, you know, will really boost the stats and also it's just going to help them win the game. So I'd say that's my answer. Yeah, I would have to say I agree, but for a different answer. So after Joe and against Austin P started 1-11 for the 11 yards yeah. or whatever it was, I think he completed, I want to say, 10 or 11 passes straight, and probably eight or nine of those were just screen passes. So I feel like his passer rating will just be through the roof from screen passes if he doesn't get those chunk plays. But like you said, I yeah. still think the chunk plays are there. It's just a matter of the offense being in sync, which from what it sounds like inside the program, they had a meeting. It wasn't as bad as a come to Jesus meeting sounds, but it was just, yeah. hey, we have to kind of like wake up, get this offense in sync and get rolling. So, Jackson, I'm looking forward to Saturday night. Why don't you go ahead and plug everything y'all are doing at the Alligator and where people can find you? All right. Uh, again, I'm Jackson Reyes. You can check out all my work on Twitter. It's uh, just my name, Jackson Reyes, just no O in uh, the Jackson. Uh, and then you obviously check out all of our work over at Alligator Sports, the Alligator. Uh, Florida Volleyball is uh, ranked there in the country. They just beat FSU last night. They welcomed number one Wisconsin to Gainesville on Sunday. So the day after the game or day after the Tennessee Florida matchup, we'll have a, a top three matchup in the, the Stephen C. O'Connell Center. And then uh, Florida soccer, they recently lost their first match of the season, but, you know, they're off to their best start in, uh, I want to say, four years. So, you know, very exciting sports coverage going on, along with football. So, very exciting stuff. But, again, thank you for having me on. Yeah, for sure. Top three volleyball matchup. I cannot complain. Tennessee went to Madison, and I think they lost in five sets or four sets. So, took it down the wire, but couldn't pull it out. And, Jackson, I will see you on Saturday. So for Jackson Reyes, I'm Caleb Jarrow, and this is a production of the Daily Beacon Sports Podcasts.